I'd like to begin by reading from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, the uh, 16th chapter, beginning with the 13th verse. We heard part of this this past week. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. The one line that I want to lift out this morning is whenever Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Notice he says, since church singular, not my churches. He says, my church. And as we come to this place in the Apostles' Creed this morning, we need to be aware that Jesus says, my church. First of all, it's his church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's his church. And that means that there's just one church. And that ties in with what we say in the Apostles' Creed whenever we stand and we affirm I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And notice we say the Holy Catholic Church, singular. One church, it's holy and it's Catholic. Now, I have purposely uh, taken things out of order in the Apostles' Creed to celebrate what we affirm when we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church this morning, uh, because we practice this when we come to the communion table. And we will uh, talk a little bit about that in just a moment. But uh, today, uh, we're going to be talking about the Holy Catholic Church. Next week, we'll be getting back in line with, uh, I believe, in the Holy Spirit, I believe. And I'm saving, again, we're going to take things out of order to fit the season. Because on Good Friday, and remember, we will have a Good Friday service here at 7 in the evening. And that night, I'm going to take the rest of the stuff that we affirm about Jesus. And we're going to be looking at that. I believe in Jesus Christ uh, the only, the, let's see, I'm, I'm not, whenever I take it out of context, I get, I don't get it right, do I? Uh, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Virgin Mary, 
suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and the third day he rose from the dead. Only we're going to we're not we're going to save on the third day he rose from the dead. We're going to save that for Easter morning. So uh, we're going to get this all done. Uh, but uh, it's not going to be in proper order. So if you think I'm skipping over something, I'm not really. I'm, I'm covering it. So the first thing I think we need to do is understand the word church. Uh, in the New Testament, that word church translates uh, from the Greek word ekklesia, which comes from two other Greek words. One, the ek means out of, uh, and then uh, the other word kaleo means to call. So the church is made up of people who have been called out. Imagine what we've been called out of. Can anybody tell me what we've been called out of? The world. Hmm? The world. The world. That's right. We've been called out of the world. When you put those two words together, you get ecclesia, which means the assembly of those who've been called out of the world to follow Jesus. Now, that definition tells us that church is about people. You remember whenever y'all were little kids, I'm getting older. So when you're a little kid, it's so easy to do this. Let's do it together if you can. If you can't, this is the church. This is the steeple. Open the doors and there's all the people. Yeah, boy, that's hard to do. But uh, anyway, the thing is, we're talking about the church just then as being a building, aren't we? This is the church and this is the steeple. And this is so neat because I was just reading this past week. Our church, our building, was first built to be a combination meeting hall, school room, and meeting place for church. And the Methodists started doing that and carrying on that part. Then they built another school and, uh, and a town hall. And so that just left us Methodists here doing our part. So then they added the steeple. They didn't put a steeple on it until after, uh, after that. So uh, um, anyway, but that's talking about the building. And the thing is, whenever we look at what it's, whenever you look at the word that's translated, we're talking about people. And strictly speaking, the church is the people who come together as believers in Jesus Christ. It's not the building where they meet. Now, we call this building the church, but uh, it's, a, it's a church building. If this church building, God forbid, burned to the ground, San Philip United Methodist Church would still exist because it's not the building it's all you neat people that have been called out of the world to be this part of the body of Christ. Well,
uh, the church is people. And sometimes the New Testament uses the word church to speak of all of God's people all around the world. And we call that the universal church or the church universal. More often, the word church refers to a group of believers in a particular location. And uh, so it does use the word ecclesia to speak of local congregations. Uh, both terms are valid. The Christian church is both universal and local. It includes all true believers from around the world. And the church also manifests itself in millions of local congregations around the world. Now, today, I want us to look at the two things that we affirm about the church in the Apostles' Creed. And uh, as we already said, from the reading, from our scripture reading, and from the fact that it's singular in the Apostles' Creed, the church is one. It's the Holy Catholic Church. Ephesians uh, 4, 4 through 6, uses the word one seven times to emphasize our basic unity as believers in Christ. There is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father over us all. Now, this sevenfold unity emphasizes the lasting truth that Jesus is building his church, and it is one church, not two, not three, or 15, or 20,000 for that matter. The one church Jesus Christ is building consists of all true believers who have been born again through faith in Christ. And they are the church, regardless of their particular denominational background or affiliation. When we finally stand before the Lord, he's not going to ask us about our church affiliation. We won't be asked, well, were you Methodist? Were you Baptist? Or were you Lutheran? Or were you Catholic? Or did you attend San Philip United Methodist Church? In that great day, God's going to ask you something else. He's going to ask you, what did you do with my son? What did you do with my son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Each person will render an accounting of how he or she has responded to Jesus. Did you trust him? Did you believe in him? Did you receive him as Lord and Savior? Or did you reject him? Did you instead trust in your own good works, your own religion or your religion, your reputation or your supposed merit to gain entrance into heaven? The only thing that will matter in that day is whether or not you trusted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. There are deep differences between many of the Protestant churches in many vital areas of church doctrine. We don't simply disagree. We profoundly, we deeply disagree on some issues of huge importance. It's also true 
that we have large areas of agreement with many on God, the Trinity, the deity of Jesus, his death and resurrection, the necessity of salvation, and so on. We truly do have a different view than the Catholics on the role of Mary, on the role of justification by faith alone, uh, the imputation of uh, Christ's righteousness, uh, the role of communion, and the place of the saints, or just to name a few of our differences there. And I do not mean by saying those things and calling up those differences to downplay the significance of these issues. They matter. But what, uh, but, well, well, but that does not mean we think there are no Christians in the Catholic Church. We think saving faith, true saving faith, should not be equated with church membership, ours or theirs. There are genuine Christians in the Catholic Church. I've met some of them. There are genuine Christians in the Lutheran Church. There are genuine Christians in the Episcopal Church. There are genuine Christians in the Presbyterian Church. There are genuine Christians in the United Methodist Church. There are genuine Christians in the non-denomination denomination and a lot of other denominations to boot. And there are unsaved members, let's face it, in all those groups. Some of them have been taught wrong doctrines that have has kept them from the truth. Others simply cling to religious tradition. Some inherit their faith without examining it, and some wrongly believe that being religious is going to open the doors of heaven for them. As United Methodists, we do not judge people solely by the labels they wear. We treat people as individuals and not just members of a certain group. God has his people in many surprising places, and no doubt, he has people in places we wouldn't uh, have them if we were God. But we're not. It's going to be true of heaven, too. We're going to be surprised at some of the people that we come across up there. And let's face it, there are going to be a lot of people that are surprised they came across us up there. But the thing is, uh, the bottom line is that uh, it's not the label. It's the relationship and what we've done with Jesus. I am glad to extend Christian fellowship to all true believers in Christ. And at the same time, I do reserve the right to disagree with them over important issues. To say that the church is one means that the true church includes all believers in Christ, regardless of what label they wear. And within that basic oneness, there is plenty of difference for doctrinal teaching and also for sincere disagreement. Unity does not mean unanimity. I said that right. I'm going to say it again just because I got it out without stumbling over it. Unity does not mean unanimity.
John Wesley made this very, very clear. Uh, he said that there are things uh, that are matters of opinion, and uh, they may be matters of opinion that we hold strongly, but they aren't the essentials of faith. And he says in those matters of opinion where we actually differ on something that's not an essential of the faith, we should think and let think. But then he goes on to say, and not many people want to admit that he said the rest of this. Uh, he says, that doesn't mean we can believe just anything at all. He calls that Latitudinal, uh, now, now my, my tang's getting tangled, isn't it? Uh, latitudinal marginalism. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Need to know that because John Wesley didn't care much for it. Latitudinal marginalism. He says that is straight from the pit of hell and the spawn of the devil. He felt very strongly about that, I do believe. Uh, he goes on to affirm that there are essentials of the faith that we should all agree on and that those basic essentials are pretty well laid out in the Apostles' Creed and that if we agree on those things, then he says, then your heart is right as my heart is right. And if your heart is right as my heart is right, give me your hand. So that's number one. The church is one. And whatever, the, then the church is holy. The church is holy. I believe in the holy Catholic church. The word holy really makes a lot of people uncomfortable because they connect with a kind of arrogant uh, religious hypocrisy. To say that the church is holy can seem to mean to some people as saying holier than thou that the church has sometimes fallen far short of god's design can't be disputed uh, and we all understand uh, that christians can sometimes be terribly hypocritical but that's not the heart of the matter the word holy means set apart for god Anything that belongs to God is holy by association with him. We call the Bible the Holy Bible because it comes from God and it belongs to him. The church is holy because the people are holy. And the people in the church are holy because they are God's. They're gods because they've given themselves to him. They are holy by virtue of their redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 2.9, it says that believers are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people belonging to God. Now, these four phrases describe who we are simply by virtue of God's grace. Those things became true of us by nothing other than God's work in us. He saved us and then he declared us 
his chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, all because we belong to him. But that doesn't end the story. The verse also says, God did this so that we may, quote, declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You've been called out of darkness. You are a called people, called out of. Ecclesia, do you see that? You're called out of something and that something is the world. That's where holiness becomes practical. We, the holy people of God, are to live so that we bring glory to the Lord. To be holy means to go against the tide because the tide's running in the wrong direction. It means to swim upstream because the stream is flowing into a foul pit of destruction. Holiness always involves rejecting the ways of darkness and walking in the light of the Lord. When the church is truly the church, it will be both salt and light to the world. But you need to remember that salt is an irritant and a preservative. If the church doesn't irritate the world, it's not doing its job. And there are a lot of churches that are not doing their job. They're trying to make the world feel so comfortable. And in order to do so, let's face it, they're becoming the world. G.K. Chesterton put it this way, A dead thing can go with the stream, but only a living thing can go against it. God calls us to swim upstream every day, and he gives us the strength to do it. Well, that's number two. Number three, the church is Catholic. The church is one. The church is holy, and the church is Catholic. And this is another word, that makes people uncomfortable. Some are troubled by the word Catholic because they think it has something to do with the Roman Catholic Church. And nothing could be further from the truth. Note that when we come to this phrase, the word Catholic is always smell, uh, smell? is always spelled with a small C. If, if it were Catholic with a capital C, That would indeed refer to the Roman Catholic Church. But Catholic with a small c simply means universal. A worldwide body of believers. When applied to the church, it means that the message of the gospel is for everybody, everywhere, in every generation, and in every situation we find this emphasis in many places in the New Testament. Mark 16, 15 instructs us to preach the gospel to every nation. Jesus commands us to go and make disciples of every nation. He says that uh, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. 
We're to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. It is made up of all people all around the world and in every age who have heard the gospel, who've accepted Jesus' death on the cross as a full payment for their sins and committed their lives to him in such a way that he is now their Lord. So what then is the church? If we take its basic meaning, ecclesia, and add the meaning of the meaning of these two words that we've affirmed today, the church is the worldwide body of true believers in Jesus who go against the flow of society. J.I. Packer calls the church the supernatural society of God's redeemed people. And I like that phrase because it reminds us that the church is not an organization like the Rotary Club or the Lions Club or uh, any other club because the church belongs to God and its base is a spiritual base. It is truly a supernatural society of those whose lives have been transformed by Jesus Christ. So what does this mean for all of us here at San Philip this morning? It means we're a part of something big. We're a part of something that's huge, that's much bigger than just us. But we are a part of it. I ran across uh, a guy yesterday that uh, was, uh, he was talking about how he was a pastor, he was a minister, and you know, whenever people ask a minister, says, well, and they don't, when they're just meeting and they say, well, what do you do um, <clears throat> when if he just says, I'm a pastor, I'm a reverend, he says they immediately jump to conclusions about me. They immediately jump to conclusions and they have their own ideas about what he does that may not be true at all, but they just have that connotation. And so he tries to get rather creative in telling people what he does. And he was explaining how one time he was on an airplane that was getting ready to depart from Heathrow Airport. And there was a lady sitting next to him and they introduced themselves to each other. And he asked her, what do you do? And she told him what she did. And then she asked him, what do you do? And he said, well, I work for a global enterprise. And she said, wow. And he said, we've got outlets in nearly every country of the world. And she just got big eyed and he went on. He said, we've got hospitals and hospices and homeless shelters. He said, we do marriage work, we've got orphanages, we, we've got feeding programs, educational programs, we do all sorts of justice and reconciliation things. Basically, we look after people from birth to death, and we deal in the area of behavioral alteration. 
And this woman sitting there in the airplane said, wow. And she said it so loud that everybody around her just stopped what they were doing and listened to hear what was going on and what was coming next. She said, what is it called? And he said, it is called the church. So whenever somebody uh, asks you what the church is, tell them it's a global enterprise. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing again, but uh, you can look up uh, J. John is the guy's name uh, on YouTube. And uh, he has quite a few informative things there. But that just kind of gives us an idea of uh, what we're a part of here. We're a part of the body of Christ. And in being a part of the body of the Christ, the United Methodist Church takes that very seriously in an area that becomes very guarded in some other denominations. And that's the area of communion. We celebrate open communion because we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. We don't think we have a corner on the kingdom of God. And because of that, when we issue the invitation, it doesn't make any difference what denomination you're from, what uh, uh, part of uh, the body of Christ you are in. If you name Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you're our brother and our sister. And this is his table. And we invite you, brothers and sisters, to gather at this table with us. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Amen.